Good, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the 99%. I'm Jesse Vondracek, and I'm here with Marilyn. Hey, guys. And today we have a special guest. This coach has actually coached me in, in strength training and is currently coaching me in strength training and has a pretty extensive background in running and some dabbling in a few other sports. And Nate, I'll let you tell us a little more about yourself. Uh, hi, everyone. I'm uh, Nate. I work at Smith Performance Center in Tucson, Arizona. I work with Jesse in a strength capacity, but I coach people in endurance sports and conditioning and strength training. Uh, part of a team there at Smith Performance Center. Um, and I have a, a background in running and competing in other endurance events. Tell us a little bit and more. I, I had to I had to probe a little bit to get the extent. Everyone's always so modest, the extent of your running career. It sounds like, um, you know, Jesse said he wasn't just a runner. So well, it definitely wasn't a big deal. That's for sure. I had a whole team that was faster than me. I ran at Pima community college here in Tucson, um, and got to run, uh, some fast times in the 5k and the 10k. Um, I wish I'd gotten to do the steeplechase, but, um, mainly it was long distance stuff. And, uh, I got pretty injured when I was, uh, competing in college and that's how I segued into other endurance stuff, uh, mainly cycling. Um, but I did do a couple, uh, sprint tries and had some success there and I was interested in it. And some fast times were you, you'd said to me just before we started as 32 minute 10 K, which, so that's pretty handy for the listeners. Yeah. Somewhere in that ballpark in the, the sub 33. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Awesome. I mean, yeah. and you have a, a master's in exercise physiology. Yes. Yeah. I studied at uh, Texas State University uh, for my master's program and I went to NAU for my bachelor's Northern awesome. Arizona. Yeah. 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 Um, all right. So I'm going to throw, throw a little question at you guys. Um, I was wondering if either of you have ever run an open marathon. No. <laughs> He sounds so, so excited about that. No, no, no. <laughs> I, I drew the, the limit at like 90 minutes of work. It's like, that's so half marathon. That was the most I ever wanted to do uh, competitively. So zero, zero interest in, in the marathon. Still to this day. Yeah. All right. Fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough. <laughs> You see, you see that a lot from track. I mean, people who run really fast on the track in the 5k and 10k, that tends to be the transition to the marathon. It's like very few people I know that ran in college, um, 10k on the track actually end up transitioning to the marathon. So I've, I've heard that many times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's just too long. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's similar. You see with some of the ITU athletes, I mean, for the amount of ITU athletes, there are, there aren't that many that actually end up going to Ironman. Um, you know, there's, you know, there's a handful and the ones that do, we go, Holy man, do they bring a whole nother level of speed to the sport? But there isn't actually that many ITU athletes that have, um, it's obviously a pretty different, different type of athlete that ends up going that long afterwards. So yeah. I'm not, you know, you see that pretty often. I have not run. Well, I have run one open marathon. That was the very first marathon I ever did. I can't remember how old I was. I was like 
16 or 17. Um, I don't remember my time at all. And then, and then the rest of the marathons I did were in Ironman. So 16 of them were off the bike, but never. And to me, same thing. I was always like, this is so far. Like, (laughs) cause I was like a, I was like a, you know, in school, I was a sprinter. I was, you know, 400, you know, four by one long jump, you know, those kinds of more explosive sports. It was never, I was like, just I have so like, many questions for you, but it's just so long. <laughs> this is so First fascinating. Time I, so when I went, yeah, when I saw Iron, like my whole family's fast twitch, you know, my sister was a, a figure skater. She was like an Olympic level figure skater. Wow. Dad was a sprinter. Like we're all sprinters in my family. So going long was like, God, that's so far. So I, I didn't really, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I was, after Ironman, that was enough. I was not, not interested in ultra. Like we talked about oh, yeah. <laughs> last week. <laughs> Yeah, I don't want to do a major deep dive into this, but I'm just too curious not to ask, what was the impetus to do a marathon at, at 16 or 17? Yeah, what? My sister was doing one. <laughs> so she was like, you should come do this with me. And then she ended up not doing it that year, but I still went and did it. And um, yeah, I can't, I honestly can't even remember my time. Um, but yeah, she got me into it. And even back then, I thought, this is really, really far. <laughs> And did you ever think that like in any of those 16 times, like coming off the bike, like, wow, this is, this is a long ways that I've got to go. Heck yeah. Every Ironman I ever did. I was like, (laughs) God, this is, I was like, well, I would get just one of the things that was hard for me in Ironman is getting distracted. I was like, God, I wonder what all my friends are doing. Like, that's why I was, that's why I was way more suited to bike racing and like short explosive stuff. Cause I was just always like, God, this is so long. What's everybody doing? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> everything is everything is hurting right now why are we why are we keeping on going <laughs> my, my longest training run that i well the longest run that i ever did was 22 miles and i i always think like you know when i was doing that run i was just like okay i get the point i get yeah. it <laughs> <Pretty close>. yeah <laughs> like, i'm, I'm sore i have blisters my hips hurt yeah, yeah i got it <laughs> yeah it's was... uh, fun was that in preparation for your half or is that just like a different training run you were doing me yeah um yeah that was actually in uh full-on like 10k training mode oh Um, wow okay yeah um i was the interesting thing at the junior college level uh i don't know if they're still doing this or not but if you compete in the cross-country season uh you're basically automatically qualified if you run a half marathon to compete at the half marathon championships for junior college. So that was the goal. The second year was to do that. So I had all these like big, huge runs that I was doing throughout that season. Um, but yeah, I didn't end up doing that cause I got hurt, but, uh, I just remember thinking like, I, I get the point of this. <laughs> Awesome. Jesse, have awesome. you run an open marathon? You've run, you've run a few, right? I've run a few. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I've run a few with Amy, which mm-hmm. started out moderately hard and towards the end got really hard. Um, <laughs> so the first marathon I, I paced her for was the goal is sub three. And then by the end, it got down to sub 242, which um, two weeks after an Ironman myself was. Um, was a struggle for me and especially when you have to keep a calm face and you're opening gels and you know trying to be motivating when you're uh you're not feeling great yourself right um but my first open marathon was actually in college and 
I wanted to break four hours, but I was like 409 or something. That was, um, oh, wow. That was my first open. And, and yeah, I, um, I remember my training for that. And it was, I think my longest run leading up to it was like 18 or something. So a pretty long run, but like not that close to 26. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Like still a pretty big, pretty big gap there between 18 and 26. And I had a, a, a discman. I don't know if anyone around here remembers the discman that you Oh, yeah. I used to ride hand. with a discman yeah. in my back pocket. Oh, nice. <laughs> Listen to I the had same one of those CD too. the whole time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The yellow one. Yeah, yeah. It was yeah. like the yellow waterproof one, right? And yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And I had a, a discman in one hand. I think I had like a backpack I would carry like water bottles in or something like super, super pro. Nice. Um, <laughs> that's the way to do it jesse well that also led to a 409 so hopefully i've learned a little bit since then and can help yeah. people go you know a little a little faster in the future um so the i guess the premise for for having nate on and having this conversation is one of the things we were talking about in our in our ultras conversation and in our running conversation was was running a marathon in marathon training and I was chatting with Nate a little bit and he was talking about some kind of different approaches he's been using and having success with. So I kind of want to touch on that. And I just kind of wanted to start out with talking about like that, that question of like, in order to complete the distance fast, is it a good idea to complete the distance in training so that you have that, that confidence and, you know, like muscularly you, you can handle it. Or is that like just, just a waste of time and unnecessary? I mean, and it, maybe that's not such a black and white question and answer. So I know I'm throwing a lot at you guys. Um, Nate's doing some soul searching over there. Yeah. Just <laughs> but, looking uh, at the ceiling. Um, <laughs> but no, yeah, that's so, a great question. Yeah, Go ahead, Nate. I definitely am interested in here. I want you to lead the, lead the way oh, on okay. this one. Yeah. Um, well, I'm, I'm asked often, uh, you know, what the longest training run is going to be, uh, leading up to a marathon. And I, I'm, I'm not too concerned with, uh, you know, doing multiple runs over 20 miles. I, I think for one, it's cumulative volume throughout the week and throughout the whole training block, that's going to get you through. And two, um, practicing, uh, this is a, a big one that I've been doing lately is, is having my athletes treat every single long run. Uh, and I kind of look at it, uh, you know, if it's longer than 90 minutes, it's a long run, treat every single long run. Like it's the race itself. I want them to go through their entire strategy, uh, you know, their warm up strategy, their, uh, nutrition, hydration, all of that at every single long run, because I wanted to feel automatic, you know, and I, I try and leave out, um, doing anything wild during their long runs. It's just a long run. Um, but I think having multiple runs that are, uh, 16, 17, 18, 19, maybe a 20 miler, um, leading up to it where they're practicing all those things. It's just, taking that, that last two weeks to take a little break and dip down in training, reducing some of the volume the week of, and, you know, going into it, 
knowing like, oh yeah, I've, I've worked out all the kinks. So it's, it's just going a little bit longer now. And the other part of it is I think a lot of it falls on the athlete to pay attention to how their body feels. I don't like athletes to force things in training. So if they're not in tune with their body and they say, well, coach says to do 20 and it's just not their day to do 20, they feel like garbage. I don't want to force it. Tell them, you know, back off, do 16. And I think all of those things, which uh, I guess are more the mental aspect and the actual other things that you need to do aside from the running. I think that makes the biggest difference is uh, just knowing like, it's just a little bit longer. I've practiced all the systems. I've got the endurance from all of the training, not just this one run. Uh, that's, that's my strategy lately. And it's been working out pretty well for a majority of my athletes. I, I want to parse that out a little bit, but before we do, I guess I kind of want to pass the, the mic to Marilyn and, and let her take away for a second. I, I really appreciate what you're saying there because that has been my exact strategy for a long, long time. And cumulative, I actually don't go by mileage. I go by cumulative hours um, oh, yeah. within a week. And mm -hmm. actually for my more advanced athletes, it's having two long runs a week. And the same as you, when I say long run, it's like, I might, and, and the really advanced one that actually might be three, it might be like a 75 minute run, a 90 minute run and a two hour run all 48 hours apart from one another. Yeah. And then cumulative work might be six to seven hours of total running a week. And we work the different energy systems within them. And again, like you say, the long run might be like on the trails or on a soft dirt or something like that, but it's, and then if you maybe the less experienced athletes are the ones that aren't ready for that type of volume. We just pare that down where it might be, you know, 60 minutes, 60 minutes and a 90 minute, or let's, I'm just sort of throwing some numbers out there. It might be getting them to a point where they can run pretty consistently for many months in a row, five hours a week and bring it down some weeks, like three hours, two hours. So especially with, um, triathletes, I tend to stay away from mileage. Um, some, yeah. I will do that. Like it depends a very few athletes I have do a 20 mile run before an Ironman. It's, it's, it's usually a special circumstances that I do that, but I'll have them do three or four 18 mile runs and yeah. several weeks of five to seven hours of running for months in a row to get them ready. So, um, and I find that to be really, really successful. So I, I very rarely, I think the risk versus reward on a 22 to 24 mile run is, um, they, it's a huge amount of breakdown. It's a huge amount of recovery and there's, isn't a lot of overall strength gained going into the exactly. event. Um, yeah. and so that's, you know, I, I haven't actually heard too many coaches say that exact same thing. And, um, I've been using that strategy for years now and I, and I came up with that. It was really through watching what basically, you know, what was consistently making people run better and better and faster and faster, but keeping them injury free year round. Yeah. Um, and that, that seemed to be the pattern that, that really worked. And it's a different number of different types of runs at different types times of the year, but I never stray too far away from, from those kinds of numbers, depending on the athlete. So, and, um, you know, the, even, even my real beginners frequency is, is huge. You know, it might be even just like a lot of 20 minute jogs and when times are like when volumes paired way down, but I never, 
I, I wouldn't do where they are only running maybe 45 minutes to 45 minutes and then a 22 mile run on the weekend. I find that recipe and you see that a lot in a lot of triathlon programs or even on marathon programs. I find that recipe really tends to set people up. They have a weak structure and then they do this huge, massive run where they can't hold it together that long. And the injury rate happens pretty quickly. That's been my experience. Yeah, it's. Uh, I I wish I could have all my runners go time based. Uh, I think running specifically, people are just uh, very driven by mileage. So uh, that that was really interesting to hear. Yeah, I was just going to say that um, I totally agree. Runners seem to get stuck in mileage, and you do something like phone line in Tucson, where it's like a nine mile run, but it runs like a you know twelve or thirteen mile run, and it's like, well, you know, you can't you can't do something like that and call it like the same as nine miles on the river path because yeah. the, the impact is just not at all the same. Um, but while I've got the mic, I'll just keep talking and, <laughs> and answer my own question about like the marathon in training. And I think if you'd asked me five years ago, I would say hard. No, that's something I would never do. Never consider. I think there's absolutely no reason to ever go over two hours for any athlete and, and kind of with that echoing everything you just said, um, and just to offer a slightly different perspective, because I do agree with everything you said, but I, I think that there might be cases where at points in some athletes career, they can, they might be dur durable and resilient enough to go along and come back from that and excel by that response. But I think that's a very case by case basis. And I think agreeing with you guys, like going over 20, going over 22, basically going over that two hour mark or maybe 230, depending on the athlete's speed. But like definitely like when you get closer to that three hour mark, the, the risk versus reward is tipping way the wrong way. But if you do have a, a durable athlete that has experience, has lots of running experience, has mileage under their legs, and you know, what they can handle. I think you can make some gains in those situations, but I, I think that I've seen programs where that gets thrown out there to everyone because it worked for, um, you know, a, a pretty fast marathon or then I think that's not, you know, that's not an appropriate approach, but I, I do think it can work, but you think you have to be really selective on the people and the time in their career in which you use those pretty long runs. And even, I'm even talking about like, yeah, like a 22, 23, 24, not just that marathon. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would agree with you on that completely. And it's, um, you know, I've even seen some professional athletes that were training partners of mine and peers of mine through my career that did some pretty epic long runs in their preparation because that's what worked for them. You know, 50 K runs run all day, you know, these types of, um, things where, if they didn't do that, they actually couldn't run a fast marathon and, but they were really, really special cases, you know, and it was what was necessary for them. And they had been training full time for a really long time, high mileage athletes, really durable, all of those things that you talk about. So um, in every case, I think with coaching, it's always like, we've got like these broad paintbrushes and, and beliefs and what we see that works for the norm. And then there's always like an, uh, it depends sort of yeah. asterisks at the end of all of that. Um, and, uh, I think it was really interesting what you said at the start there, Nate, when we were talking is like, 
on the flip side of that, you see short distance athletes doing some pretty long stuff. And what I found interesting about that, I know to change the subject on a, on you a little bit is that I actually do the same thing. Like my short course athletes, I still have them do a 90 minute run and you're saying you're a 10 K runner and you ran 22 miles. And so it's like, we're talking about, would you run a marathon to be ready for the marathon? We're all leaning in the direction of probably only not, in very, yeah. <laughs> probably not only in very, very special cases. Right. And very few. Um, but when it comes to five and 10 K runners, or even, you know, short distance triathletes really often have them consistently doing 90 minute, two hour runs. Um, so that's kind of an interesting point to, to, you know, touch on as well. Yeah. yeah Nate, a, that's one of the questions I was going to ask you is about your, your 22 miler in basically 10 oh, K training, <laughs> but well, but, but still it's uh, you know, it's an interesting thing that you, you ran that far. So yeah. What, what were we going to say about that or about, well, you? I think. Um, one of the, the things that, uh, is important to know about that is like, it, it wasn't like my coach said, you need to do 22 miles. It was more, um, let's keep these long runs growing as long as you feel good. And, uh, I just remember one week doing like 16 and telling him like, Hey, that was, that was like the longest run I ever did. I felt good. And it's like, okay, well, let's just keep that going. And I, I really like that mindset and that philosophy uh, where I'm working with my athletes now is it's accomplishing the right goal. You know, I'm building the aerobic capacity. I'm just going longer. And uh, for aerobic conditioning perspective, like I, I think the training is, is just, it's fine. You know, I'm not doing anything... Uh, you know, I wasn't going, doing all these surges or anything like that. It was just nice and consistent and low heart rates uh, throughout it. And I think what, what he was getting at was teaching me how to self-regulate and how to pay attention to that stuff in my, in my own training. And that's what I try and do with my athletes is, you know, if it feels good, you can go longer only if it feels good. <laughs> um, that whole concept of not forcing anything. Um, so is there a percentage where like, okay, let's say one of your athletes, their longest run ever is an hour and, and they've, you've planted that seed in their mind, they're going heading out on their long run and they know like, well, as long as I feel good, I can keep going. Is there, a, when you're, when you guide them through that, is there a, a cap that you put on them and say, well, you know, as long as you feel good up to this point, like I know there's, oh, I, I've yeah. certainly said like you can run up to two, two hours or 30 K, whichever comes first, you know? So it's mm -hmm. like somebody might, and I, and I know in that case, if they're, if they're running 30 K in two hours, they're probably clipping along pretty well and feeling pretty yeah. darn good. Right. Um, and if they're not feeling that good and they are at two hours, then, then we know to, we know to cap it there and we're going to, we're going to stop right there for today. So is there, do you have sort of rules there with that? Yeah. So I'll set a run, a range based on their, uh, goal distance or goal event that they're doing. I'll set a range. Like, you know, let's say, uh, they are, I don't know, six weeks away from a marathon or something like that. I might want them to get in a 16 miler. I'll tell them anywhere between 15 and 17 is okay. And if you're feeling like garbage, let's drop it down to 12. But if you get through 16 miles and you're, you know, cloud nine and nothing hurts and okay, let's try 18. At that point, you have my permission to, you know, do an additional two miles, but my range having that, uh, 15 to 17, 
is around. I think if they get that in, um, you know, they get on the low end or something like that, they're still on track. Um, if they have a consistent couple of weeks where they're dropping back or they're on the low end, then I might need to change the, the range a little bit. So they one feel like they're succeeding because that's important too, is a sense of accomplishment. Uh, and two, uh, that they're getting in the amount of time, uh, as you were saying, uh, that they need to uh, actually do the event. And let me ask you another question. You said something earlier about like not doing anything crazy in your long runs. Do you, do you tend to keep them all aerobic or do you do, do work in your long runs or does it kind of depend? I guess, how do you feel about working your long runs to, to pare that question down? Uh, well, that's another tough one. It, it depends on the athlete um, and depends on the goal. So if it's someone that's just completing a marathon versus competing in a marathon, if they don't have any time goals, no, I don't want them doing anything crazy. Just, just get the long run done and, and focus during that on uh, the nutrition, hydration, the strategies you need to be successful for the distance. Um, if it's someone that's, that's consistently proven that they can handle the distance well and they have time-specific goals, then um, I'll start working in uh, tempo stuff. So just uh, short blocks of it, just so they have some variety and they're getting the anaerobic threshold work that they need. Um, and then I'll also have like a third category where they're working on uh, specific pace. Uh, but I don't like to go, I don't like to exceed that pace all that much. Um, so if their goal race pace is eight minutes, I don't see the point in them doing many miles at seven thirty. Like, you know, if, if you need that for the, uh, the tempo pace, that's okay. We're only going to do a little bit. But if your goal race pace is eight minutes, then let's stay around there. Let's get used to and comfortable at that, uh, practicing all of your other stuff, nutrition, hydration, recovery, all that. Um, I think uh, I, uh, that's actually a really, really important point that you're making. And I'm going to bring that right to what I um, really try and teach my Ironman athletes is that it's important to learn to run long at the pace that you're going to run your Ironman pace, because it's a different gait than yeah. running along a little quicker. Mm -hmm. And what you see, if it's not practice, well, one dialing it in and dialing in the sensations and cues of what it feels like to run that pace tired and fresh. Um, but the other point of that is that it, it really does feel different on your joints and on your muscles. It's a little bit more, it's a different posture. It's a little bit different foot strike as far as like how much foot time on the ground, because running, you know, obviously if you're running six thirties or six minute pace for an open marathon, but you're going to be running right around seven minutes off the bike, you know, something like that, that is, that is different in terms of what, what that is like on the ground. And if you, your body's not used to that, I know some really fast runners that when they run with slower running partners, they say, man, I'm more sore from that than if I oh, just yeah. ran my own pace. And I'll hear that from other athletes too. They're like, I feel more comfortable if you just let me run faster. And I say, I know, but you need to practice what that feels like and actually condition your joints and your feet and your muscles, the durability to feel what that actually feels like over a long time, because it is different. And you need to be not only cued in and to the body cues of what it feels like, 
in all different circumstances, but you need to condition your body to be able to run at that pace for two plus hours and not break down versus floating along at a pace that isn't going to be realistic off the bike. Um, So I don't, that probably that's a little different than an open marathon, but I think it's really important in triathlon Ironmans. Yeah, that's, that's super cool. I I never would have thought of that with uh, the multi-sport athlete. Um, That's, that's really interesting. A lot of my athletes, it's, that's all they do. So it's a little bit easier to, uh, monitor those ranges. So it's, that's really cool. I like that. One other question I have for you, um, is I haven't actually had too many of my athletes do this, maybe a few of the very top ones, but I certainly did it in, in my own career because I couldn't do a lot of long runs. Um, but to create the durability that I needed uh, to be able to handle a marathon, I did, I did sort of like extended periods of downhill running. And I know that that is a little bit of a common strategy among pure marathoners where they'll do, you know, a 30 minute downhill run, that kind of thing, about three, four weeks out from their open marathon. Have you had any experience with that or any thoughts on that? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, I don't have a whole lot of experience with that. I've got a lot of athletes that are doing the Jack and Jill marathon in Washington. And that's, uh, I can't remember what the grade is, but it's, it's a gentle downhill the entire time. Mm-hmm. And I keep getting questions about doing downhill training for it. And I just think risk versus reward, let's train for a flat marathon. Uh, and then surprise it's downhill. Um, I want them to be strong and I don't want them to get hurt in training. I want them to make it to the starting line. That's a, sure. one of the, the big goals is making it there. And I think, you know, I I should probably do some reading on that, but I I think doing some is, is probably fine again, to kind of recreate the stimulus of the race that they're going to be doing. Uh, Just like you, you said with uh, doing the pace that they would actually be doing um, as practice for the stimulus. Uh, But I, the impact forces are are just so much greater with the downhill running. Um, So I could see it in small doses, but in large amounts, I'm, I'm kind of leery against it. Right. Have you had any experience with that, Jesse? Um, I'm, you know, I am kind of in the Nate's camp in that I haven't had a ton of experience with it just because of the, the impact of the downhill running. And I, I do know some faster runners, like more shorter distance guys that, that do that to get that turnover, because it can really be you can really help get that turnover from running down like a slate grade. And, and if and that's what, when I say downhill, I'm no, I don't mean like, like, yeah, right. Down. Yeah. I'm not picturing you know, like, I'm like I'm a 20% like, grade. Yeah. <laughs> like two, 4% grade for 30 minutes, really fast turnover at the end of yeah. like a 90 minute run. Um, that kind of thing. Oh yeah. yeah I can definitely be... see the benefit there for, mm-hmm. especially for turnover. And like for most, you know, especially like if you have a taller guy, then, or, you know, a taller person that can definitely be a limiter. And so if you can keep that turnover high, especially at the end of a run, then I can definitely see the benefit there. I, but yeah, I haven't, I don't prescribe a a ton of stuff like that. And one of it is, it's like, um, finding that place where you can come up with those situations where that works. And a lot of people don't have great access or like time to find stuff like that. But I do know in Tucson, most people end their runs going downhill on the river path, which isn't quite that much, maybe only 1%, but 
but at least it is like a, a slight aid there. But yeah, I definitely see see the appeal of maintaining a turnover later on in a run, which actually kind of circles me back to something that I do for Ironman marathons, which is slightly different. And for some of my athletes, and this is more the advanced athletes, but I do kind of the opposite where I say, okay, you want to run, let's say six forties. I need you to be able to run 90 minutes, 110 minutes at 620 pace, because I need you to like, to feel that fatigue of like working pretty hard. And then we'll do some other runs where it's like, okay, well, you also need to make sure you can run 640 pace, because like you said, I think that's important to have, have that. But I think that making sure they're like doing some of that under load and to kind of, since I'm not going to have them run 26 miles, most likely in training, you can kind of mimic some of that load by going a little bit faster. And I know it's, it's not the same. And I totally agree that like, yeah, that their gait is different and, and they do complain about exactly what you're saying. So I'm wondering if maybe I need to, to take some of what you're saying in consideration, maybe change things up a bit, but, but yeah, I, I do think to increase that, like the durability they need towards the end, sometimes it's good to do, do something a little bit harder in the beginning, uh, much like doing the shootout before you're going to ride, like, harder or steady later to kind of like fatigue them and then say, okay, now hold pace or slightly faster. One fun thing that I've seen used in the past as well for, um, and of course these are all just, um, special circumstances for different special, you know, if you're preparing for a really fast marathon, um, and people who are maybe just putting that last bit of icing, you know, on, on the cake, that kind of thing. I've seen running with a faster runner, like going to somewhere where it's, you know, good packed dirt for a long run and someone who's a f- much faster runner and tying a toe between the faster runner and the slower runner and saying like, I'm going to tow you, but you're going to get towed. And so the turnover has to be significantly quicker for a long time. So the effort actually isn't isn't high in terms of, um, they're getting a little help, a little assistance, but the turnover is what it's kind of like you saw, you know, the pulleys in the pool, you know, that they use at the AIS and for the Olympic games and stuff like that. They're like, okay, you need to know what it feels like to be on top of the water at over speed in order to achieve that. We're going to pull the pull you with this toey and at, at, you know, really, really fast speed. And then they get that sensation, that turnover, that feeling of going really fast through the water. So it's the same idea where you're being towed along, but what happens is the athlete gets tired from the turnover and the neuromuscular aspect of things, but they're actually not beat up that badly. And it, and it does help, help develop an elite runner to that next level that might be sort of in a stuck range where they're, you know, they've done a lot of things already. And we're looking for that last little bit that's going to take them from here to there. And um, that's a strategy I've seen a couple of times work pretty well. That's over the awesome. treadmill, the treadmill, I mean, the treadmill, you can accomplish that a little bit and the ultra G that kind of thing, a similar type of philosophy, but it is different on the actual road than it is with those two, with those two things. Do you, have you guys ever used any of any of those tactics before? I definitely use the tread treadmill. Um, and we have a lever runner and I know a few athletes that lever runners seem to be getting more popular. And so I've used those before. Um, and the treadmill more for faster running. And I think that can definitely be a good tool to reduce impact, but yeah, I've never done that or heard of the, the tow rope before. That's super fun. That sounds like that would work really well. <laughs> if you I, live I, somewhere where there's an ocean, it works really well at low tide. 
<laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I uh, I've seen stuff like that done with the the shorter distance, you know, the the hundred, two hundred, four hundred, that type of stuff, but never for uh, endurance type of runner. That that would be really interesting. I'd love to do some reading on that. Um, I don't know that you'll find I, a whole lot of <laughs> literature out there on it. This is all like sort of like let's, let's back, do a study <laughs> backyard, backyard stuff that like from, you know, training with a lot of uh, people back in the day where there was some extreme things taken to make them go really fast. I'm, I'm not sure that anyone actually wrote these things down. I should maybe start writing them down. <laughs> Good thing we're recording them. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's they all work the same way. Uh, what we're what we're all talking about, I guess, is is the stride mechanics and and how adjusting the cadence is going to have an impact on them or the the RPMs or however you want to talk about a uh, foot strikes per minute. Um, and you know, if you have some athletes that have a deficiency one way or the other, they tend to overstride or they take really short choppy steps, and these are all different strategies to address those issues. So. Um, I think one of the other things that I, I failed to mention is like one of the big things that I like to work on with my athletes is, is their actual stride themselves. Cause I'm thinking long-term trying to keep them healthy and everything. And sometimes it's just the way that they run the, the muscles that they're using uh, incorrectly or too much. I want to make sure that their stride is uh, conducive to long-term health and everything. So What's some uh, examples are... of stuff that you would do with them in that case? Like give us but, a sort of a case study there. Wait, let me jump in here for a second and just help with what Nate is saying is that he also is like, he does a lot of gait analysis and he's done a gait analysis to me like over the years. And that's been super helpful to see what's changing, what's staying the same. And that's um, helped me stay healthy in running besides my unrunning related injury for since I've known him for what the last, I don't know, six years or something. Um, uh, how I, long have I known Jesse? <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I've been, I've been running healthy, uh, you know, again, besides the, the whole ab wheel incident of 2019, but, um, but, uh, wheels, they're, they're hard. They're dangerous. They're hard. You can <laughs> really dangerous. Uh, this is a an ab wheel. <laughs> anti ab wheel podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, Distraught, lost that sponsor. Oh, well, um, <laughs> <Damn> it. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so, and I, I, yeah, we didn't talk about your, your other, your roles doing gate analysis. And I think that's, that's definitely helped me stay healthy. So I don't know if you want to kind of jump into that a little bit more. Yeah. Um, so, um, uh, I guess what, what should I explain? Like the whole process of the gate analysis that I do or the findings or, or, I guess, uh, what should I explain here, Jesse? Yeah, just maybe like briefly, briefly the process. I'm sure a lot of our listeners have had bike fits before. So maybe they understand like, like the retool system or, you know, some things mm -hmm. like that where you can kind of like, so they can picture what might be going on there. But yeah. then like Marilyn mentioned some case studies of like, you get people on the treadmill and then what do you see? Like, you know, do you have like a couple of things you usually see? And then maybe where do you go from there with it? Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. So, uh, the gait analysis that I do is pretty extensive. It, it covers range of motion, flexibility, uh, motor control, which is a huge one and strength. And I do all of that before I even get them on the treadmill. So I can kind of pinpoint a couple deficiencies, um, that they have before I actually see them run. Um, 
And a classic example I see with uh, endurance athletes is uh, weak glute meds. Um, and I'll see that with a, uh, a manual muscle test of their abductors, their hip abductors. And so everything might work perfectly. They might have great uh, flexibility and range of motion. They might have a great running history. Um, and they may come in with some medial knee pain and do some manual testing. And it looks like their glute meds are weak. So what I might have them do beforehand is activate those glute meds, make sure that they're using those to control their knees as they're running. And that's not really an adjustment to their gait at all. It's just using the correct muscles during their stride. Um, another example is poor motor control, and it might be the exact same issue. Um, you might have someone with poor motor control and good strength, or someone that has both poor motor control and poor strength. And so a test that I do is called a step down test. And I just watch how their knee tracks as they're stepping down from an object. And that tells a lot about their ability to control their pelvis and their knees. Um, and you think of, you know, when they're running, they're, they're doing that same small, you know, quarter squat a hundred times or something like that over time get tired and those hips start moving all over the place and knee starts moving all over the place. And I want to make sure that they have good control of that. So sometimes I have my athletes stop every couple of miles, reactivate those glutes, practice some motor control exercises like the step down that I do as a test and retrain their brain on what muscles need to be used and when, uh, during their gait. Um, but I might also find stuff like, you know, this person is overstriding or they're taking really short choppy steps um, or they're crossing their legs over like this. And it's really small adjustments that can make a pretty big difference to their long-term uh, health with running. Man, I hope not too many of my athletes are listening to this because I've stolen a lot of stuff from you and, and, uh, <laughs> They're going to, they're going to find the horse that I stole from right now. <laughs> That's good. Oh, no, you're, I, you're learning, learning from you, learning from the peers, right. And you pass it along. That's why we all do this is because we want to yeah, help exactly. each other. We, we share. That's the whole point of it. We share with each other. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, one other question for you while we're just peppering you with questions is you threw out one of my favorite words earlier and I, I, couldn't help but not come back to it. Um, you mentioned tempo in the long run. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't leave it. I couldn't he's leave like, it. Oh, he's going to say something. <laughs> I, I have a thing. I have a thing for, uh, can you describe tempo or what it means to you? What it means for me? Yeah. Um, so for me, I, I like to work the, uh, the threshold, the aerobic threshold. So there's a, a range of numbers out there. I would say the, the point where you start to rely on carbohydrates more than fats, and that's where you start huffing and puffing. So for me, tempo is the range where the run becomes non-conversational. Um, it's kind of a really, uh, I, I don't mean to hide behind terms there, but it's, it's a really clear you know, you can communicate clearly during this point and then you can't, 
and that's where I like to work as a tempo. It's so just, a little just on the other side of that point. Yep. Yeah. And so you work on that a little bit uh, here and there, and you extend the amount of time that you can do at that that pace, and that has a pretty good effect on how you can uh, maintain that range, that workload, that work capacity, however you want to think of it, um, that pace um, for extended periods of time. So I think it's a it's a great range to work in, and it, it's I would say it's safe because I don't want to go way above my pace, like I said earlier. And I don't like, you know, staying super slow. I think it gets really boring and then you're missing out on some of the other adaptations that you can have, but just a little safe range where it's, you know, go into that tempo range or uh, aerobic threshold range, however you want to call it and uh, do some work there. Awesome. And um, do you do any faster stuff during the week or? Is that kind of where you leave it? Um, I, I tend to uh, gravitate towards, you know, uh, the goal with the majority of my, my athletes is more long-term health and stuff. So I do want them to run fast, but uh, you have to kind of prove that you can handle the workload um, for a while before we can start incorporating workouts into the mix. And the workouts, when they do get started with them, they're not going to be much above race pace. They're going to be pretty close to race pace and initially, and then as they grow as an athlete, as they continue to progress, then we can go a little bit faster here and there. I have actually the exact same rules of thumb there that you just said, uh, identical. I think for most part, for most athletes, um, you know, they're going to be going too hard, too fast yeah. anyways. And as coaches, a important part of the process, like you say, is, you know, a big part of our job is keeping people safe and keeping them consistent. And that's how they're going to keep getting better. And, you know, if you speed, speed is like the most risky thing you can do. And it's like, I like the line that you use there where you said, they're going to have to prove to me that they can do a lot of work for a long time before you start going doing speed, because you can get faster off just a lot of work and a lot of medium work or tempo or whatever you want to call it for, a long time before you're ready for that, you know, that kind of work. So, um, I really appreciate you saying that. And it sort of like backs a lot of the things that I I'll tell people and they might get a little frustrated with why aren't we doing any speed work yet? And I'll say, because we're not ready yet. And we're not ready yet might be like for some athletes, two years, Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know, which is a long time for someone to be that patient, but, um, and some athletes, it comes quicker. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to steal that as well to prove you can handle it. That's a, that's a good one. Taking a step back, you've had some good success with your athletes in running uh, marathon, half marathon, some some longer distances. What would you say are like your your boilerplate thoughts about like what you've changed or what has made them successful now? Do you have any? Um, and I know like it's individual, and that this is a, this is a hard question. But do you have like any kind of philosophy changes that you've made that you think have has led? to your recent successes? You know, we've been talking a lot about that at, at Smith Performance Center uh, as a team. Like, what are, what are things that we need to do more of? Like, what are things that uh, uh, as a coach or as an individual or as a, as a group of coaches, uh, what, are, what are some things that we need to do to uh, improve our athletes? And 
uh, I always think it's education. Um, so teaching the athlete how to monitor and self-regulate things, that's, that's a thing that I've been incorporating a lot over the last year is teaching them how to make sure that they're doing well themselves. Because if all I see are some numbers on a, on a screen or something like that, I, I can't really tell. So I want their feedback, but then I also want them, you know, even if they're, you know, uh, maybe fluffing it up a little bit with their language and their feedback, you know, saying like, Oh, it's all great. I want them to understand like what it is that they're trying to accomplish and making sure that they, um, are being really honest with themselves and saying like, Oh yeah, I, I am actually doing all of these things. I am, um, understanding the, the goal of these exercises and these workouts and I'm on track. Um, I, I like for them to have that level of understanding because if you just, uh, hand someone a, a sheet of paper that has some workouts on it and they go do it, they, they could be doing it 10 different ways or going way too hard or not hard enough or, and not getting the right stimulus. And I think that's, uh, that's one, one thing that I've been working on personally is making sure that my, my athletes are very well educated on what they're doing and why. That's, um, yeah, that's awesome. I think a lot of listeners are probably hoping for some sort of secret workout they can just go do on their own. <laughs> and, and I think throwing education at everyone is, is an awesome thing. And that, like you said, like it's, it's more important to understand what you're trying to do than the specific work that you're doing. Yeah. I always say that I, I, I really, I'm enjoying this conversation because without, this is the first time I've met you and we almost like verbatim say the yeah. same things. And it's really interesting, things, which is really kind of cool. Cause we've literally never met before about, you know, five minutes before this podcast. So I, it's, it's super cool. And that's something I've always said is with, with my athletes, I've, you know, coaching for so long, I always say the best thing that you could ever do is teach someone everything you know to a point it's kind of like you're raising them to a point where they 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 know almost as almost as much as you do like it's like a parent you're passing along everything that you have and teaching them everything that you you know and why and how and how to apply it and i have even some a majority of the athletes that i coach are, are coaches themselves and so you know i'll I'll teach them not only about their process as an athlete, but, you know, then like, how would you teach this to someone else and how would you apply it differently and why? And then those kinds of things. And I think that's so cool. It's like the, the important part of what we're doing here is making sure that we make more educated athletes out there. And if, you know, someone said to me once, they're like, oh, you had this athlete from scratch and now they're a coach and, um, you know, you coached her into being a coach. And I said, yeah, I mean, that's, that's what I hope for. You know, that, that's great. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, yeah. I mean, she's learning something and she's getting better. That's the whole point of this. That's what we're supposed yeah. to do. So that's cool. Yeah. I think the, the easiest athlete to coach is, uh, you know, that someone that could basically read your mind and say like, oh yeah, I understand all the terms that you're using. I understand all of the, um, you know, and I can apply those to others, you know, if they have that level of understanding, like, you know, they're going to be safe, uh, when they're, uh, doing the training that you assign them. Yeah. And also their ability to race is really good, right? Because oh, at yeah. the end of the day, these long events like a marathon or an Ironman or half Ironmans or any, any of these endurance events, as soon as we're getting basically over a 400 for the men on the track, as soon as you, you know, as soon as that's when it goes aerobic, everybody is even the women's 400 is, a, is, a, um, it, you know, it's aerobic. So, but, um, yeah, I mean, these long events, people need to be able to make decisions for themselves out there. And the, 
and hopefully you've given them all the tools to know everything that's going on with their body and understand why and how to self-correct out there so that they are successful in all kinds of cases. So um, I think that's one of the mistakes I see some coaches make now is they, uh, they maybe overcoach a little bit with they're overcoaching with control and not enough education and allowing athletes to learn. And that um, I think takes time and confidence as a coach to learn how to do that the right way. So I love hearing that you're, you're similar in that practice. Yeah, I think it'd be, uh, you know, just this conversation alone, I'm thinking like, oh, maybe I should write up a, a whole sheet of all the common terms that I use and define them all and then send them to all my athletes. <laughs> I did that. I have actually that. Yeah? I have a, like on my site, I have like a guidelines and forms. And I did that. I was like, wrote out all the exact ones and like what fuel you would use for each of them and what it's supposed yeah. to feel like and what it's compared to on the Borg scale and what else it might be called and what it should feel like. And, um, oh, that's perfect. and so, yeah. And so, you know, that it, it is worth doing because then people, I mean, a lot of my athletes have been with me for a long time, so they don't even look at that kind of stuff, but if you get someone new, it just helps give them a little bit of a cheat sheet for a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And one of the things I guess I've, I've stolen from Maryland is, is that like, you can't, tell people too many things too soon. So I think having that there is great, but then you might need to remind athletes over the, over time, right? Okay. Look at this once now, and then we might change what we're using a little bit later. We might not get to some terms right away. So you might need to keep referring back to that. Right. Cause like you could have an athlete for like, you're saying like two years before you might get to some things that might be on that sheet. So I think having it on your website is great so that they, you can say, okay, like, these terms might still be new to you in two years because you're just finally getting, getting to some, some of these types of workouts. So I, yeah, I think it's cool to have it there as like a, a resource they can refer back to. Awesome. Well, I, um, I feel like this has been a great conversation. I'm afraid if we keep going, it could turn South. So I feel like we should cap it soon. <laughs> It's been super fun to chat about this stuff. I mean, I know we started with the intention of just talking about like preparation for the marathon and the different strategies and philosophies, but I, I've really enjoyed just like talking about running and basically different coaching more. So, I mean, I, I know we, we specified on running, but really, really got into more in depth, I think, coaching philosophies and, and how you might approach things that way. And um, it's, it's been a real treat for sure. I I've enjoyed it. Yeah, it's very fun. Uh, it's nice meeting you, and yeah. it's always always <laughs> nice chatting with Jesse. And uh, I'm I'm actually uh, pleasantly surprised by, um, whoops, did that just exit me out. No, you're here. Okay, I just hit a button <laughs> and everything went blank. Um, new computer. I don't know what I'm doing. Um, no, I, I'm I'm very uh, very happy to know that like more than just Jesse are, you know, doing things in a, in a way that I agree with, uh, as a, as a coach, I hate seeing coaches making mistakes with athletes. And I just think it's, it's not rocket science, you know, it, it doesn't need to be rocket science. Uh, you progress an athlete along and, you know, those same ideas, uh, just keep applying, uh, so it's refreshing it's that, to hear that famous saying, isn't it like great coaches make complicated things simple. <laughs> yeah yeah uh, that's that's the old saying <laughs> it's been fun in the sense of like a, another side project of mine is uh uh one of my my good friends is trying to become a coach so we've been going through you know she's trying to specialize in cycling for uh 
women during menopause or something. Uh, and just going through all of these same conversations, it's, it's really helpful and refreshing to kind of see like a lot of people are speaking the same language. Well, yeah, I appreciate you guys spending another afternoon slash evening with me. And Nate, hopefully we can, we can bring you on again soon. This was fun. Yeah. If you, uh, if you need any, uh, people to talk about biomechanics or physiology in general, or, uh, if you just want to stick to running with me, uh, whatever you want. Or we can get into <laughs> lifting heavies. We can talk about a lot of things, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyways. Cool. Thanks so much, you guys. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Bye. Nice meeting you all. Cheers. Bye.